Let's talk to God. Father, because of your kindness to us, because of your servant heart, because of your generosity in Christ, will you please show us something more of Jesus as we read again this part of your word? Will you help us, equip us to hold on to trusting in him through the week ahead, through what we think about now? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I wonder if you, um, I wonder, do you like to be served? Do you like to be served? Yeah, shrug your shoulders, don't know about that. Some of you are nodding furiously. Um, You know, you sit in a restaurant. I've had the privilege of doing that recently. In fact, I picked up my son from a birthday yesterday. And he was sitting in a restaurant and he'd been served. He'd been served for the last hour. One of the things you notice about the servants is they work really hard. They must walk miles in the hours as they wander around that restaurant. I wonder what you think of servants. I wonder which you'd prefer to be. Would you prefer to be the servant or would you prefer to be the master? Would you prefer service or would you prefer to be the master? I wonder what you think of service. I wonder what you think of being served. One of the things you can't escape when you read this second part of Isaiah, when you get into these songs about God's servant, is that God, at his heart, in one way or another, he's about serving. He's about serving. God, at his heart, is about serving you and me. And it's glorious. Tonight we get a second take on someone that God honours. Someone who is so capable and worthy that he should be given the role, uh, that he should be given the role to put on display all the glory and weight and wonder of God. For the second time we meet God's servant. His servant. Look at verse 3, chapter 49, verse 3. He said to me, God is talking to the servant. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. You know, this song, you need to, I feel, to really get what's going on here, you need to know a little bit of background of why this was sung, why this poem was written to the people of Israel. It was first given to a nation who had turned from God. The people of Israel, they had turned from God. In one way, it's a little bit staggering that they'd done that. I mean, through the leadership of Moses, several hundred years before, this nation had been rescued by God from slavery, from the slavery of false gods in Egypt, under the tyranny of a leadership that would kill their children. It's quite staggering to turn away from a God who rescues you out of that. They'd been consistently provided for by God as he led them through a desert. He provided for them for uh, their food and, and manna and all the means as he led them through a desert to give them and to deliver them into a promised land that they would have. A land with all abundance. A land with so much life and joy. Joy. 
At one point, God, as it were, married this people. There was a sort of a ceremony on a mountain, a marriage ceremony, where there was an agreement, a covenant, where he would be their God and they would be his people. They didn't bring much to this relationship. In fact, they didn't bring anything at all. He brought everything to this relationship. But there is God loving this unheard of nation, bringing them out of slavery bringing them through desert into life. As they followed him, they they would enjoy boundless joy and blessing because he was the source of life. He demonstrated to them repeatedly that he was the source of all life and hope. Later, under the leadership of Joshua, this nation had entered the land and it had been divided up between the groups. So they all had a slice each for them to own and enjoy. All secure in the presence of God himself, with God at the heart. Now it was a bumpy start for this nation Israel, it was a bumpy start. But there was one point where the nation of Israel was at peace with all those around. And people came from north and south, and east and west. And they came and they saw briefly... In this nation, they saw the glory of God. And they wondered at what God had done for this people. Israel. Briefly. But the people of Israel turned from God. It's staggering that they did, but they did. And in Isaiah 42, you hear, in Isaiah 42, just before this, a little earlier on, you hear, I'm going to read it to you, you hear... What God has to say about that. Hear, you deaf, look, you blind and see. Who is blind but my servant, talking about the people of Israel, and deaf like the messenger I send? Who is blind like the one in, the, the one in covenant with me, blind like the servant of the Lord? You have seen many things, but you pay no attention. Your ears are open, but you do not listen. It pleased the Lord for the sake of his righteousness, verse 21, to make his law great and glorious, to put it on display through them. And then in verse 24, who handed Jacob over to become loot and Israel to plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom you have sinned? For they would not follow his ways. They did not obey his law. So, they, so he poured out on them his burning anger at the violence of war. It enveloped them in flames, yet they did not understand. It consumed them, but they did not take it to heart. They turned away from God, this people who had been cherished and loved and brought into this glorious relationship with God, and they turned away from him, and in doing so, they lost their land, they lost their liberty, they lost their food, they lost their security, and they lost the thing that was the the joy of all, God himself. They were cast out for their adultery to other gods, to Babylon and other nations, to live again where they started, in captivity. But you know, with God, even when people despise him, even when he is eventually, and it took hundreds of years, it took hundreds of years, But even when he is eventually stirred to anger, 
with God, even when people despise him, all is not lost. All is not lost. And that's where we come to the announcement of this servant to whom we are to listen. All is not lost with God. Even if you're back in captivity, even if you turned away and you're back where you started, all is not lost with God. He sends his servant. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Listen to me, says the servant. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. All is not lost with God. Everyone should listen. In verse 1, it's the islands, it's the distant nations. Everyone should listen. In verse 6, you get this. He says, it's too small a thing for you to be a servant to restore just the tribes of Jacob. I'm going to make you a light for the Gentiles. That's everybody else. In verse 12, in verse 12, see, who will, see they will come from afar, from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Ashwan. And in verse 13, the Lord comforts his people. He comforts anyone who's afflicted. Everyone should listen. There's a message here. There's a word here. There's something happening here for everyone. Everyone in this room right now, listen. Listen to God's true servant. Why should you listen to him? Well, he has some divine authority. I mean, one of the things you get in Isaiah is when you hear the word in, in, in the NIV, it's often translated as hear or listen. When you get that, most of the time, who's speaking? Well, chapter 1, verse 2, it is God. Hear me, you heavens. Listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. In Isaiah 33, 13, you have God speaking against Israel and he says this, you who are far away, hear, hear me, hear what I have done. You who are near, acknowledge my power. But now you have someone else using that little phrase. Someone else has stepped onto the stage and is using this God authority phrase. Listen to me, everyone. There is a servant here with, some, with divine authority. But he doesn't just have divine authority. He's not just a far off servant. He's not just someone who who we can't approach. There is humanity here. Look at verses 1 and 5. Look at verses 1 and 5. Listen to me, you islands. Hear, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me from my mother's womb. He has spoken my name in verse 5. And the Lord says, for he formed me in the womb of his servant. Formed me in the womb to be his servant. Divine authority and humanity. He shares our humanity, this person. Humans are formed in, and when all goes well, they come out of wombs. This servant is going to have hands, he's going to have eyes, there's going to be laughter from his voice. He's going to be calm some days and joyful. He's going to be hungry and endure sleepless nights. There'll be temptation, loss, learning, growing, endless demands on his time, work, blood, sweat, pain and peace. He's going to share. He's going to share with those he's come to serve. There's divine authority 
And there's sharing, there's closeness, there's intimacy. He gets us, this servant. He shares our circumstances. This rescuer from God, his divine authority, comes and shares our humanity. But look at who is calling him. Look at who this person is. Look at the the weight and the glory behind this servant. Verse 1 and 5 again. He's called by the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. That is a signal to anyone who reads the Bible. It is Yahweh. That is, from the beginning of the Bible, the creator, the one who holds all things together, the one who rules every moment, the one who keeps every agreement that he ever makes, the one who's true to his word, the one who's jealous of his glory, the one who's described as holy, 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 utterly unique, other, separate, absolutely weighty in every way. You could have all the gold in the universe and it wouldn't match his weight. The ever-present, all-powerful, almighty God, the Lord who'd made this first agreement with Israel that they had spurned and turned away from, In verse 7, he's described as the redeemer, the one who pays to get you out of slavery. He's described as the holy one of Israel, the heart of the nation of Israel. The one with ultimate authority is enacting something in history. He's calling his servant. So you should probably pay attention. Look at his servant's duties. It's to do what the Lord wants and to speak his powerful words. It's funny, isn't it, in verse 2? He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. Weird. He made me into a polished arrow. His mouth speaks words of power. Words of penetrating force from God come from this servant. They're worthy of attention. But look, the other half to that little sort of couplet in that poetry. In the shadow of his hands, he hid me. So he's a sharp sword. There's powerful word, but he's hidden. He's a polished arrow, but he's concealed in his quiver. He's reserved for a special occasion, this servant. There is a time, there is a moment for this servant to speak the powerful, penetrating words of God. This servant... Is being called by God. This servant is going to speak his powerful words at the right time. This servant is the true Israel to display God's splendor to you all. The bit we read earlier from Isaiah 42, where Israel is the nation, they're described as an utter failure. They're described as the servant, not this servant, but they're described as God's servant. They're described as blind and deaf and basically utterly stupid because they turned from God. So you see in verse 3 that this servant gets Israel's name transferred to him. He is to fulfill their mission. He is to do what they failed to be. He will display the splendor of God, not just to one nation, but to everyone. 
Listen. Listen to him. Listen to me. Something fabulous. Staggering. These words are appropriate for this part of the Bible. Is happening in time. The servant himself has divine power and yet is born among us. There is power and understanding. The one who orders all things is behind this servant service. And he is going to display all God's splendor as he speaks his powerful penetrating word to people. Who is he? Who is he? About the birth of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, it's written, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She shall give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus. Does that sound familiar in our passage? You know, when Jesus of Nazareth was an adult, just before he started speaking what God wanted, to, what God wanted him to say, God publicly honoured him. He was there, baptised in front of everybody. And as he came out of the water, God says of Jesus, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. God honoured him. Just after that, Jesus started to speak. It's like the arrow was taken out of the quiver and God's penetrating word came to this world. It was this, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now that is an uncomfortable word, isn't it? That's a penetrating word. That's a word that says, you're going the wrong way. You need to change. Turn around. A time has come for you to turn around and turn back to God. It's difficult to hear that word. You know, he said some more penetrating things to Jesus. He said this, when it com- what comes out of a person is what defiles it. Sorry, he didn't say that. He said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile you. That's some of Jesus' words. Later on in his life, talking about himself, he said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. God is about serving people. Serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Talking about Jesus, someone said this, that since the children have flesh and blood, us people, guess what Jesus had to have? He had to share their humanity so that that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Talking about Jesus, someone else said this, that he is a high priest who who is able to empathize with our weaknesses. Because he was tempted in every way. Divine authority. Human understanding. Divine birth. Calling. Right time. Powerful word. Jesus. Jesus is God's servant. He's your servant. 
So much so that God was pleased, we're told, to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. Dwell in him. Do you know, there are many other things that we could read here about this servant. And they all point to the one who came through birth, through Mary, and came into our world, the servant. We need to listen to him. That's what it says in chapter 49, verse 1. Listen to me. You islands, hear this, you distant nations. I have been called by God for you. Listen to me. Called by God for you. Do you know what he's going to bring? Look at verses 5 to 6 and 8 to 12 and you'll find that this servant... That he's going to bring God's favor to all peoples. He is Jesus. God's servant is Jesus. And he is going to bring God's favor to everyone. Now look, have you ever had that feeling that your work is going nowhere? Anyone have that feeling? Anyone have that feeling? Okay, if I mention housework... Okay, housework, does that ever make you feel that it's kind of going nowhere? You need to clear something up, two hours later, complete mess. And it wasn't you, it was somebody else. It was him. (laughs) Probably me, actually. If I come to your house, that is. There's that feeling, isn't there, where no matter how much you labor, on the surface, it can look like it's going nowhere. And it's weird. I I really struggled with this verse, preparing for this. It's really weird. Look at verse 4. God is speaking to the servant. He said to him in verse 3, he said to me, you are my servant Israel. He's got Israel's job in whom I will display my splendor. And the servant responds. And it's a really strange response to start with. He says, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due to me is in the Lord's hand. And my reward is with my God. There is attention. There is massive effort in this servant's service. He's going to spend his strength. In verse 7, you get a a real feeling for what that spending is going to look like. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him, the servant, who was despised and abhorred by the nation. The servant of rulers. This is a little little hint of what's coming later on in Isaiah 53. That this servant is going to be despised. That part of his work in this world as he comes into this world is actually to be rejected. By his very own people that he came to rescue. He's actually going to be rejected and abhorred. I looked up the meaning of the word abhorred because I don't think I've used it this week. The meaning of the word abhorred is this. To be regarded with disgust and hatred. That's a heavy service, isn't it? You react to that way when you tread in dog poo. You abhor that. You regard that with disgust and hatred. And if you walk it through your house, you really do abhor it. Because now you've got to do your cleaning again. The servant is going to be abhorred. His service, he's going to spend his strength He's going to labor 
And if he wasn't careful, he could be tempted in his spending and in his laboring and in his giving of himself to serve people. He could be tempted to think, what good is it doing? You know, right at the end of Jesus' life, you do wonder, don't you? Everyone was jeering at Jesus. He was spending his strength and he was been, he'd been beaten and whipped. His people were rejecting him. His friends had turned from him. Peter, his, one of his closest, closest three friends had denied him three times in his hearing. And he hangs on a cross and everyone is telling him to get off, spending his strength. He looks so weak. He looks so poor. He looks so pathetic as he dies. The temptation there, the pressure there to stop serving. But look at the servant's attitude in chapter four, in verse four. Yet what is due to me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with God. This, servant, this servant's hope, despite the pressure, despite the pain, this servant's hope is in the fullness of God to act using him anyway. Even if he gives himself completely, he trusts that God will use him to bring God glory. And oh boy, is God going to do that. Because God responds. He says, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing at all. And then the Lord says twice. In verse 5 and then in verse 7, the Lord says something again. And then in verse 8, the Lord says something again. In response to this anguish of heart, this temptation to give up serving. He says, you are going to do something Incredible. You are going to bring God's favor to all peoples. I told you about the first hearers of this poem who were far off in captivity, the nation of Israel, also called Jacob in this poem. But there is another group of people who are not Israel. It's everybody else. There's another group of people. Israel needed to be rescued from their self-imposed slavery in Babylon. They needed to be rescued. They'd gone after other gods. They'd, they'd bowed down and enslaved themselves to everything that wasn't God. And they needed to be rescued from that. And God was kind. He's about serving people. He wanted to bring his service to them. But there is another group of people that God knows need to be rescued. The Gentiles, all those people who are not equal, who are not Israel, need to be rescued from the same problem, their self-imposed slavery to other gods. So remember the picture here. It is the servant, despite appearances and pressure, is going to trust the Lord to use him to do what he said, to display his glory. And this is what he's going to use him to do. Look at verse 6. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore just the tribes of Jacob and bring back the house of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation, my rescue may reach to the ends of the earth. In verse 8, There is a special time that is described when the quiver is opened up and the arrow is taken out. When the sword, the words that God once said to the world are unveiled. A special time and it's described as God's favour. 
This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you, my servant. In the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people. In verse 10, God wants to show his compassion, his pity to all those in need. And now God is going to use this servant. He's going to make him a new covenant. He is going to be the new agreement between people and God. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people. In response to the trial and the expense of strength, the servant's trust in the Lord's purposes, he, will, he, has, he has promised to help all the way through and bring about the most extravagant and unexpected outcome from his service. People from every tribe and nation are going to be freed from slavery. People are going to be found out of darkness in verse 9. People who are hungry are going to be fed. And they're going to come back as they come back to God. People who feel the scorching heat of God's glare, his judgment on their turning from him, are going to be fortified in verse 9. And they will never feel the scorch of the sun again. Because of this servant, it is going to be easy for people to come back to God. This is an amazing picture. If you're a civil engineer in the room, you'll love this. Look at verse 11 and 12. Love verse 11 and 12. I will turn all my mountains into roads. He's just going to flatten it all to make access to him trivial. There's not, you know, it's not going to be like the M25. There's going to be no queue. The railway doesn't work sometimes. This is always going to work. You can get back to God so easily through this new agreement that he's making through his servant. Just as in the past there was a marriage between God and Israel, this servant will be the way that a greater covenant marriage is made between God and people from all lands. Because God at his heart is about serving Quoting this very part of the Bible, someone in the New Testament, in the second half of the Bible, says this. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For, quoting this part of the Bible, he says, In the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I help you. I helped you. And this is what Paul says about this part of the Bible. He says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Can you hear the servant? He's crying out to you to listen to him. He's speaking a simple, penetrating word. That today is the day. Now is the time for you and me, whatever nation you are from, through him to come back to God. Through Jesus, you can come back to God. 
In every way, we deserve, I think, to be pushed away from the source of life. Because we reject the source of life. We reject God. But God is about serving. He sees us. He pities us when we turn from him. He pities us when we pursue career or or girls or whatever it might be that you pursue. Whatever it might be that you think is going to give you life and hope and joy. Whatever it might be. He pities you in that circumstance. And he sends his servant to serve you and rescue you out of that slavery. He sent Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of Man, to come to serve you. He didn't come to ask you to serve him. He didn't come for you to pay him. He came to pay for you. We're going to hear about that next week. It's a glorious coincidence. Next Sunday morning, we're going to hear about how Jesus became nothing, became like a servant in Philippians. Come back next Sunday morning, you'll hear about it. He came to serve you. And it means that you and I can know the, and enjoy God's favour. Oh, we love that, don't we? I mean, you, those of you who've worked in an office, how many of you like to annoy your boss? How do you like to do that? I mean, how does that go? How does it go if you annoy your boss? It doesn't go well, does it? How many of us like the favour of our boss? It's so natural, isn't it? It's normal to like the favour of our boss. We like the favour of our boss. We're not talking about the favor of someone who pays you coins that go away. We're talking about the favor of the Lord Almighty. We're talking about the favor of God himself. The one that we all offend. You can enjoy his favor because of this servant Jesus, because of the new agreement that he makes with God for you. He is the key to free your bonds. You can be free. He is the one. He is the light so that you may be found. He is the food to fill your souls. He is the fortress to you against every accusation that may come your way. In a time of great division in our world, where their one nation likes to think of themselves as better than others and wants to divide themselves from another nation, and one nation wants to go to a war to another nation, this passage is glorious because it shows that God ignores national boundaries completely. Totally ignores it. He welcomes people from the north, the east, the south, and the west. Jesus came for the Gentiles. Jesus came for people from North Korea, from Albania. Black and white. Rich, poor. Everyone in need. When you come to God through him, through Jesus, the servant, you can know all joy. You can be rescued from the burdens that you have burdened yourself with. If you will but listen to the servant. If you will but listen to his call. You know, this plan is so glorious. This plan is so immense that there is a call given to the entire universe right at the end of our passage. This plan is so immense that God would be about serving human beings that turn away from him. This plan is so immense that God would want to show his favor to people who are hostile to him. This plan is so glorious that this is what is declared. He says, heavens, shout for joy. He says, rejoice you earth. 
burst into song, you mountains. It is so amazing that God would have such love and kindness to human beings that the entirety of creation should lift their voice in in a great cacophony of praise. Imagine it. Imagine being in Switzerland. They're quite big mountains in Switzerland. Imagine if they all just opened their mouths. It'd be so noisy. But this plan of God is worthy of that honor. Because the Lord is about serving. The Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. Listen. Listen to the servant. Listen to Jesus. Because he is going to bring God's favor to all peoples. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you are so kind, that your patience extends so far. Thank you that you hold out this hope for us to enjoy this week. And you call us to praise you and enjoy your shepherding of us. We thank you. Amen. Amen. Let's remind ourselves of how Jesus shepherds us and cares for us as we sing. Our closing song, The Lord is My Shepherd.